Welcome, welcome, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Rambling Brews podcast. This is episode nine. I am your host, Tim, and yo, we've got a lot on tap to discuss today in the world of sports and entertainment. We're going to dive into new details that have surfaced regarding the allegations levied against Artemi Panarin of the New York Rangers that we discussed last week. We'll try to make sense of the gong show currently taking place in upstate New York with the Buffalo Sabres, and another unimaginable has happened with me. I, Tim, have began reading a book for the first time in a long, long time. I can't wait to get into that, but first, it was my lucky day today. I've got to tell you about it. Uh, this afternoon, I rolled through the drive through beer distributor, as I always do, and I said to the guy, yo, I'll take a, a 30 of Coors Light cold, please. And he said, uh, man, we've got 36 Coors Lights that come with a Pittsburgh Penguins cooler if you're interested in that. So obviously, I picked that up, and you can probably tell. But if not, I'm in a tremendous mood. So let's get this show cracking. Man. The fans of the Buffalo Sabres, and what a fan base it is. You, you got to feel for them a little bit. Um, that place is unbelievable. Uh, I'm sure everybody saw it with the Buffalo Bills this past year when they made the playoffs. Like Those fans deserve a winner. Um, it's just an electric time. And Look at the, the Bills' tailgates and stuff over the past couple of years. They're diving off cars through tables. They're just starved for a winner in that town. And um, especially Buffalo Sabres fans. That barn is packed each and every night. And unfortunately for them, they've been trash for so long. They haven't made the playoffs in a decade. It's been since 2011, the last time they made the playoffs. Uh, In that span, in 2015, they finally were lucky enough to finish dead last in the league. Um, They had the best odds to get the draft lottery, uh, which was the Connor McDavid sweepstakes. We've talked about this on previous episodes, but um, Edmonton actually secured that pick, so they missed out on Connor McDavid. But Buffalo landed Jack Eichel, an unbelievable talent. He dominated at Boston University in college. was an absolute stud. Uh, He came into the show, and he's played pretty well thus far in his career. He has 352 points in 372 games. So just a a hair under a point per game, but pretty solid player. Um, But he really hasn't been able to get the Sabres into the playoffs. Obviously, as I mentioned, they've missed since 2011 and really haven't come close uh, since Eichel's been there. Um, and, and I said it on episode two in my predictions of who would make the playoffs. And we'll take a look at those predictions here in a minute and circle back and see what my predictions are looking like right now in the middle of the season here. I'm about nine weeks in. I said this was a prove it year for the Sabres, both for Eichel individually and for the organization to prove it to Eichel that they were going to take that next step and become a playoff team. They were going to take the next step as an organization, go out and acquire players, make good deals, um, have everybody kind of rise at the same time and go out and make the next step and become a playoff team and turn themselves into a contender to make it uh, known to Eichel that he should want to stay there and prove it to him that he should want to stay there throughout his entire career. He can win there. Um, They went out this summer. They acquired Taylor Hall uh, to help them out offensively and give them some more star power. Taylor Hall was a uh, MVP a couple years ago back with the New Jersey Devils. He was originally drafted uh, by the Edmonton Oilers, had some great seasons there. Um, and then ultimately signed this year, uh, probably would have got a bigger deal, but with the COVID season and the salary, uh, salary cap restriction and all of that stuff, um, this past year with the, the league losing revenue last year in the playoffs and then not being able to have fans most of this year, 
Um, he ultimately chose to sign a one-year deal with Buffalo, which was surprising at the time. I didn't think he would want to go there. I thought he would want to go to a contender, but he's he's also like on a prove-it year, right? So he signed a one-year deal, um, but it really just has not been working out well. I mean, this season is off to a disastrous start if you're a Buffalo Sabres fan or if you're in that organization. Um, let's take a look at some of these stats. As a team, the Buffalo Sabres currently, right now as it stands today, are six wins, 11 losses, and three overtime losses through 20 games, which is good for last in the East Division. They've given up 14 more goals than they've scored. I mean, goaltending, it's always been a huge issue for uh, Buffalo, especially in recent years, and really they haven't had a decent goaltender since Ryan Miller left in 2014. They've had a bunch of journeyman goalies. Um, they've had Linus Olmark, who currently is their goalie. Uh, they've had Carter Hutton. They've had Robin Lehner, who's since uh, turned his career around. Now he's in Vegas, um, banged up right now, but he's pretty much their starter on paper. Him and Marc-Andre Fleury split, split in time, but he just didn't pan out in Buffalo. And um, So really a lot of goaltending issues have contributed to their woes over the last decade, not being able to make the playoffs. But for the sake of this, um, this argument in this segment, I'm going to focus on the offensive side of the puck because there are some big money-making players for Buffalo just not producing. Um, just not enough to, to help them get over the hump. And I could see why the organization and the fan base is really frustrated. We'll look at a couple of their top paid players here. First with Jack Eichel. As I mentioned, he's the captain of the team, um, the star of the team, the face of the franchise. Just last year signed a $10 million deal, which he signed up through to, uh, 2026. Uh, so 10 sheets a year for him. Right now, he has two goals, 13 assists, and 15 points through 18 games. Not near good enough. Some of you might say, okay, 15 points through 18 games, not bad. It's right around his career average. Um, but at the end of the day, two goals and 18 games for your captain, your star player, your biggest offensive threat just isn't going to get the job done, and not for $10 million. Big, big problem there. Uh, Taylor Hall, the guy I just mentioned that they signed this offseason, has a ton of offensive uh, prowess, one of the best players in the league. He's super fast, high-skilled, um, you know, can finish, great playmaker, um, just a, a great all-around player. This year, making $8 million, has one goal, 11 assists, and 12 points in 20 games. Again, not even close to good enough, not what he should be producing if he's making $8 million a year. To only have one goal through 20 games is an absolute joke. Uh, Sam Reinhart. Sam Reinhardt is actually one of the bright spots this year. Um, he's actually only making $5.2 million, so he's well below the other guys on this list. Um, but he's really, he's really producing um, at a decent clip. He's just not, not the guy that you need to ha be one of your leading scorers. Um, he's right now has eight goals, seven assists, and 15 points through 18 games. And he's mainly playing second-line wing. Um, he's probably better suited to play third-line wing on a team with more depth, but the way Buffalo is structured, they just don't have the depth. So he's playing top power play. He's playing a little bit with Eichel. He's playing a little bit on the second line. Um, so he's producing. Give him credit, and he's definitely worth the $5.2 million he's making when you compare it to the $10 million and the $8 million um, Eichel and Hall are making for what they're producing. Um, so, you know, a swig of beer for Sam Reinhardt. He's actually coming to play this year on a shit team. The biggest problem for this team is Jeff Skinner. So Jeff Skinner, they just extended him last year for $9 million a year. I don't have the contract length in front of me. I know it was probably five or six years at least. It might even have been eight, which uh, for Buffalo's sake, hopefully it wasn't eight. But this year, I hope you're sitting down for this stat line. He has zero goals, 
one assist, and one point through 17 games and has been a healthy scratch the last few games, meaning, I think it's the last four games actually, meaning the team and the organization actually thinks the team's better off with him sitting up in the press box, not on the ice, and he hasn't taken that well. Um, I've read some quotes where he's saying, you know, I don't see how there's any way I can improve if I'm sitting on the bench or if I'm sitting uh, up in the press box. So uh, I'm not sure how well that's going to go, but you really can't blame the organization. The guy has one point. He has no goals through 17 games. That's an absolute joke. And he's making $9 million a year. Uh, so with my WVU graduate math again, as I mentioned on the last episode, the Sabres are paying a grand total of $32.2 million, about 40% 40% of their cap for 11 total goals this year. Let me give that to you one more time. They're paying $32.2 million, about 40% of their salary cap, for 11 total goals this year, eight of which have come from the lowest paid guy on that list, Sam Reinhart. I mean, they have to be scratching their heads in Buffalo, and the fans are just so pissed off, and understandably so, man. Uh, that place should be rocking. They should, they, the amount of, uh, time that they've been bad and they've, they've had to acquire some talent and draft and develop their prospects. And they're just still sitting here six years after they drafted Jack Eichel. They were that close to Connor McDavid, but they got Jack Eichel, a great young player. And they're still in the same spot where they're no further, no closer to a Stanley cup and no really any closer to a playoff appearance than they were back then. It's a joke. Uh, there has to be a massive shakeup on the horizon uh, for Buffalo. You'd have to think um, it's rumored that Jack Eichel has had enough. So I haven't uh, seen that confirmed anywhere, from, but from what we've just discussed, I can understand why. You know, he wouldn't want his career to be wasted there. Again, he's, he's uh, brought his game up to a different level where he's producing, but it's not all, you know, it's not all about the points. You've got to elevate your teammates. You've got to elevate the guys around you. You're the captain. You're the face of the franchise. You've got to do what Sidney Crosby does. You've got to do what Nathan McKinnon does, what Jonathan Taves does, what Patrice Bergeron does. Those guys, you know, they're, they're giving you uh, points. They're playing 200-foot game. They're playing solid defense. They're good in the face-off circle, playing well down low, playing well away from the puck, and they're elevating. They're elevating their teammates, and they're bringing guys that maybe have lesser skill and guys that have um, maybe you know not as much talent as them. They're bringing them along for the ride, and they make everybody better. That's what a good leader does, and that's what Buffalo needs Jack Eichel to do. It's not all about points. Um, rumors are swirling around the New York Rangers. There's always rumors with the Rangers and big name players that seem to be, um, you know, on their way out from their current team. But the rumor is the Rangers have inquired. And, uh, I was thinking about what it might take for a team like the Rangers to get Eichel away from Buffalo. So for the Rangers, you're probably looking at giving up, um, your top pick from a couple years ago, uh, Capo Caco, great name, by the way, uh, one of the best names in the league. Uh, great young prospect. He's in his second year. Um, you're looking up probably having to give him up as part of the deal. Um, a young NHL-ready defenseman, in my opinion, uh, maybe like a, a Philip Chidel. He's a young player. I think I'm saying his name right. I uh, apologize if I'm not. But I think a defenseman that has to be NHL-ready. I don't think Buffalo's in a position to take a prospect uh, that might not pan out. Um, a goaltender. As I mentioned, they've had goaltending woes out the yin-yang up there in Buffalo. And... Um, New York, the Rangers have a little bit of a surplus at goal. I'm not sure their prospect pool and their guys in the minors and their draft picks as far as goaltending and what that looks like, but they currently on the NHL roster have Igor Shesterkin. Uh, he's their starter. Um, 
you know, good potential young goalie to be a number one guy in this league. And they have Alexander Georgiev, who was a hot commodity uh, this past year um, in, in potential trades, um, but saw the uh, New York Rangers actually uh, buy out Henrik Lundqvist and keep Georgiev. So you never know. But I, I would think a goaltender would have to be going the other way as well, along with at least a first round pick um, going back to Buffalo from New York and possibly some other later round picks as well. So that's a big, big price. You know, you're talking about a top young player, um, an NHL-ready defenseman, um, possibly a goaltender and multiple picks, including first-rounders. If you're, if you're the New York Rangers or if I'm the New York Rangers, I'd do that deal. Um, I think it's a deal that would definitely have to be done in the offseason. I don't see how it makes any sense for Buffalo to try to force a trade now. And they have limited trade partners, the way the salary caps worked out, uh, way, the way teams are uh, strapped right up against the cap. Uh, some teams, there's so many teams kind of still in the hunt too, right? It's early in the season. Um, some teams are only five, six, seven points out of a playoff spot. They could go on a little bit of a run. I don't think they're ready to, you know, throw in the towel and start dealing a bunch of prospects or, you know, whatever the case is and dealing a bunch of players. So they'd be better suited, I think, to wait till the off season where they'd have a lot more uh, lot more options, especially with salary cap, because that's one of the, the big things. It'd be interesting to me to see how the salaries would work with Jack Eichel at 10 sheets a year going over to uh, New York. Depending on what pieces come back, I can reasonably assume that Panarin's not going anywhere, but Panarin's uh, making $11.6 million through 2026. So he's the same term as Eichel, who Eichel's making $10 million. And then the top pick in the 2020 uh, draft, Alexis Lafreniere this past year. He's not having a great rookie season, but he's still a young, promising prospect and was the consensus number one pick this past year coming into the season. Um, so I think he's still got a huge upside and he's definitely going to come into his own as a top player. He'll be coming off of his entry-level contract in a couple years and he'll be looking for a big pay raise. So if they can make it work on paper, that team would be dominant and awesome and electric to watch. But uh, it'll be, it remains to be seen. So more to come on that. Um, I mean, I said Buffalo would make the playoffs this year, and that's a big yikes on uh, on my part. Um, but I really thought they'd get their shit together. I really thought they'd show up, and I really thought they'd you know make a move this year in the standings, and and um, you know they'd get into the playoffs and make some noise because they really have to do it if they had any any uh, chance to keep Jack Eichel in their organization. But um, I think we should actually circle back and look at my playoff predictions from episode two for each division. I got a lot of flack whenever I sent these out from some of my buddies and some listeners saying how I was dead wrong in certain areas. So I think we should circle back and, and see how those um, predictions are holding up. So I pulled up my uh, predictions from episode two, and we'll go through each division. Let me take a swig of beer before we do this. In the North Division, which is the uh, all-Canadian division, uh, I'll give my, my top four that I said we're going to make the playoffs. I'm not going to do it in any particular order. Um, like I did on episode two, I'm just going to name the top four and see where that stacks up, uh, in terms of how the standings are today when I'm recording this, um, in my predictions, I had the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens, and the Ottawa Senators making the playoffs. Um, right now, as I'm recording, it's currently the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens, and the Winnipeg Jets. So I'm three for four in the North division here. Um, Ottawa, the only team I had pegged to make a, a, a playoff, uh, appearance this year. Um, they're the only team sitting on the outside looking in and they're really struggling. Uh, they're eight points out right now. I thought they had a chance to make some noise. Um, they were 10,000 to one, I think were the odds for them to win the Stanley cup. I have a little bit of money on that. That's not looking great right now. Um, but I thought, you know, they had a lot of young promising players. They added Derek Stepan, um, this year, the, the veteran from the New York Rangers. And also he played uh, a couple years out in the desert in Arizona with the coyotes. 
Um, they added him, and I thought you know he might bring in some veteran leadership, and he certainly did, but he's actually unfortunately gotten injured, and I think he's going to miss the rest of the season. Um, they also added Matt Murray, who brings a lot of goaltending pedigree, uh, championship pedigree. He played super um, super well for the Pittsburgh Penguins back in their back-to-back cups, you know, pretty much leading the team and, and uh, shutting things down in the crease there um, those two years. But he really kind of lost his game um, in 2018 and hasn't really been the same, and unfortunately for him, um, in Ottawa, it's like fucking target practice out there for him every night. I mean, teams are getting grade A chances. Um, they're getting odd man rushes, and he's just getting beat and beat and beat, and you got to feel for the guy. Um, but you never know. He could turn it around. But they're only eight points out, as I mentioned a, a couple nights ago. Uh, I believe they were only three points out, and they lost two straight. So anything could happen in that North Division. I mean, the way the teams are scoring in that league, um, you know, anything could happen. So I'm not I'm not optimistic that Ottawa is going to make the playoffs, but I'm pretty confident in my other three teams. So I'm happy there with my three out of four pick, uh, or my three out of four teams that I picked in the playoffs, uh, currently in a playoff spot there in the North. Um, in the West Division, I had the Colorado Avalanche, the St. Louis Blues, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Minnesota Wild. And I'm four for four in that division as those are the top four teams uh, currently in a playoff spot. Thanks for coming. Um, in the East Division, I had the Philadelphia Flyers, the Boston Bruins, the Pittsburgh Penguins, and the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, but right now, it's currently the Washington Capitals, the New York Islanders, two teams I thought would miss the playoffs this year, um, the Boston Bruins and the Philadelphia Flyers. So I'm two for four on those predictions. Um, the Sabres, as we just talked about, they have no hope to make it. Um, so I've got no hope there. But the Pittsburgh Penguins are actually tied with the Philadelphia Flyers for the four seed. Uh, but they sit on the outside of the playoffs looking in as they played two more games in Philadelphia. But they did, but they did just shit pump the Flyers 5-2 the other night. So... Um, a lot of hockey to be played there, but we'll see. I'm two for four in that division. And finally, the Central Division. Uh, I had the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Florida Panthers, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. And right now it's currently the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Florida Panthers, and the Chicago Blackhawks. A big surprise in that division. Um, we'll talk about one of the reasons I think they're a big surprise. Um, they're the young player, their rookie goaltender, um, or the great player, their rookie goaltender, I should say. Uh, Kevin Lankinen, uh, when when we look at the uh, favorites for the Calder Trophy, the Rookie of the Year here in a little bit. But I'm three for four in that division, and all in all, stay hot, Tim, right now. Uh, the predictions are looking solid. I'm clipping at a 75% correct rate uh, so far, but again, a lot of hockey to be played. Um, the Pittsburgh Penguins this week, I wanted to talk about uh, some news, unfortunately, that came out on Tuesday. Sidney Crosby um, was added to the COVID-19 protocol list. Um, it hasn't been confirmed that he has COVID or that he's tested positive from COVID. You really can't get much information on this kind of stuff from the NHL. I don't know if it's a HIPAA um, you know, issue or whatever the case is, but they agreed to that at the beginning of the season with the NHL Players Association that anybody uh, that makes the or is added to the COVID-19 protocol uh, the reason for that will not be disclosed. Um, it could be a, a variety of things. He could have a, a false positive. He could have a true positive. He could have COVID. He could have encountered somebody that um, has COVID or encountered somebody that encountered somebody that has COVID. There's a number of things that can happen. But um, all in all, the NHL is actually doing a much better job. It appears with the uh, the COVID cases um, and the COVID protocol lists. Just 20 days ago, 8% of all NHL players were on the COVID list. Um, and there were a number of postponed games. But as of today... 
I believe there's only four players total, Sidney Crosby included, um, that are on the protocol list. So it appears, like I said, the NHL has some sort of uh, containment on this issue, and they've contained it for the time being, um, hopefully. So let's hope that continues as more and more teams allow fans into the buildings and the season progresses. Um, let's hope that that can stay on the on, a, on the good side and the numbers can stay down and the teams can get their games in, the guys can stay healthy, and, and the season can finish um, as scheduled. Um, but aside from that, the Pittsburgh Penguins were involved in some heated games over the last week with the, uh, the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Flyers. And I, I want to talk about one uh, one hit by Tom Wilson on Mark Jankowski um, a, a couple nights ago in, in the game against the Capitals for the Penguins. So for those who don't know, Tom Wilson, he's a solid player. Uh, he's a guy you'd probably like to have on your team. Um, you know, you, you don't want to play against him. I don't know if anybody that plays against him really likes him in the league. He's just an all-around scumbag on the ice. And at times, in my opinion, he's a little bit bad for the league. Um, this guy has four suspensions in his young career, all of which actually came within a 105-game span a few years ago. And he's had countless other gutless plays on the ice um, in the preseason, the regular season, and the postseason. I mean, this guy is getting suspended for shit he does in the preseason. Like, this guy's going so hard in the preseason. He's leaving his feet. He's elbowing guys. He's slashing guys. He's hitting guys from behind. And that's one of my big problems with Tom Wilson. Um as a player, he never really stands up. Like he doesn't, he only hits guys when they're vulnerable. Um, he hits guys from behind. Um, he doesn't necessarily, you know, when Ryan Reeves, the big, uh, big goon, if you want to call it that, um, I know fighters don't like that term in the NHL. Um, but he's the biggest, toughest guy in the league, Ryan Reeves. He, you know, he was right in his face and Tom, Tommy Wilson wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, back in the Stanley cup final a couple years ago. And even in a couple games since then, um, it's laughable that, you know, everybody thinks he's so tough, and he's he's a good player, and he's tough to play against. Uh, but again, he's out there headhunting, and he's out there hitting guys when they're vulnerable. They're not looking. Uh, most recently, one of his suspensions, um, he served a 20-game suspension. Actually, I believe it was reduced to 14 uh, games after an appeal for an elbow to the head of St. Louis Blues forward Oscar Sundquist. But this guy is just an absolute piece of shit on the ice. You'd like to have him. I mean, if he was wearing a Penguin sweater, I'd be all about it. Uh, I mean, we cheered for Matt Cook for a long time, and he was a very similar player and didn't put up the numbers that Tom Wilson did. So you got to give Wilson credit. He's able to play that style, and he plays first-line minutes. He opens up a lot of space for Nick Backstrom and Alex Ovechkin. Uh, he plays a little bit on the power play, as we'll talk about here in a minute. Um, but he's also just a pain in the ass and an absolute just scumbag out there. Um, but for those wondering about the Mark Jankowski hit, um, the other night, so basically Mark Jankowski was a delayed offside uh, play, and the puck, you know, Jankowski's skating out of the zone. The puck comes to him. Um, it's like in the air, and he bats it out of the air and back into the Washington Capitals zone so the his line mates and, and the Penguins can make a line change, okay? So I believe in the NHL rulebook you have about .6 seconds in terms of time to throw a hit after somebody moves the puck before it's either a late hit, a board, an interference, whatever they want to call, um, depending on you know where you're at on the ice. And so again, 0.6 seconds. So on this play, Mark Jankowski bats the puck out of mid midair. He's not even looking at the uh, puck anymore. He's going for a change. And there's one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000, bang. And then there's Tom Wilson hitting him up high. Maybe a little bit of contact with the chin, but definitely um, Mark Jankowski had no idea it was coming. Um, definitely a ridiculous hit. Um, just a scumbag hit, as I mentioned. Just something you would predict that Tom Wilson would do. I mean, the puck wasn't even close. The puck was an absolute option for, um, 
you know, Tom Wilson because the puck wasn't an option, I should say, for Tom Wilson because the puck was behind his own fucking net. This happened in the neutral zone. So the puck was behind his net because Jankowski already dumped the puck in. So you can't tell me it wasn't a headhunting play. And I've had buddies that I uh, that are Capitals fans and people I've seen online saying, well, you got to play the game. You can't admire your past, blah, 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 blah. Hey, I get all that. But this wasn't admiring your past. This wasn't you know playing a tough game. This was a scumbag piece of shit Bush League move by a scumbag piece of shit player. I'm sorry, um, but you know maybe maybe I'm biased because I'm a Penguins fan and he's done this a lot to the Penguins. Uh, but somebody and this ties back to one of the episodes I had before about fighting. Somebody needs to just punch this guy in his fucking face. And Ryan Reeves tried to do it, and Ryan Reeves bodied him a couple times. And uh, Tom Wilson wanted nothing to do with him. He can't hang with Ryan Reeves, and it's one of the big things that pisses me off about the Penguins. They had Ryan Reeves for that reason. They went out and acquired Ryan Reeves. They traded a good young prospect, Oscar Sundquist, um, ironically, who Tom Wilson also dummied his chin and got a 20-game suspension for, as we just talked about. But they traded Oscar Sundquist, a good young prospect, for Ryan Reeves and then flipped him around because he wasn't being used by the coach. Um, that could have went a long way in that 2018 playoff series. And you never know, the Caps might not win the Stanley Cup if you know Wilson's not running around like a, you know, like a scumbag hitting everybody and creating a lot of space for the, the top-end players for the Capitals if Ryan Reeves is out there and he's got to answer to Reeves. Um, I mean, I know this was a long rant. Uh, on Tom Wilson, I'm sorry, but the hit was garbage. It was Bush League. It should have been a five-minute major. Tom Wilson's in the box. He got a two-minute interference. He's shaking his head like, what did I do? What did I do? I mean, this guy, uh, like I said, I'd love to have him on my team. I, I don't personally hate the guy, but I, I just think at times he's bad for the league. And uh, all the hits they're trying to get out of the league and all the things they're trying to clean up with the game, I think he's just a big problem um, in that regard. Um, but as the way hockey always works, later in that game, after the hit, it's a 2-2 score, and rookie Drew O'Connor for the Penguins, um, he took a lazy hooking penalty, got his ass set on the bench. He hasn't played since. He took a real lazy hooking penalty just inside the uh, the offensive zone for the Capitals and sent them to the power play. Now, if anybody knows anything about the Washington Capitals, they've always had one of the best power plays ever since Alex Ovechkin came into the league. Um, but you never want to give them a chance, especially late in the game. So uh, what happens is on the power play, uh, Chris Letang blocks a shot and his stick breaks. So typically when a, when a defenseman's stick breaks, um, a forward tries to give his stick to the defenseman so the defenseman has a, a chance to play defense in front of the net, tie guys up, trying to screen the goalie, make sure they can't get tips on pucks, things like that. Um, but in this case, you know that, that's just like a foundational rule basically of hockey. You're taught when you're young. You, you, give, the, you give your stick to, to a D-man if, if he breaks a stick because he needs it more than you. And you can play defense on the penalty kill certainly or even um, on a, in a five-on-five situation out on the perimeter at the blue line without a stick, and it's not really going to hurt you that bad. Um, not nearly as bad as it would if the defenseman didn't have a stick. But in this case, they couldn't make the exchange because the Capitals had sustained pressure in the offensive zone and they were whizzing the puck around. And they couldn't make the exchange. So like Latang's basically down there helpless. All he can do is either take a penalty or let them score. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And wouldn't you know who won the pony? Uh, Tom Wilson gets a redirect right in front of the net and scores three to make it three to two, which would be the uh, eventual winner uh, because Chris Latang had no stick and couldn't play defense. Um, in that case, like, you know, people, people were crucifying Chris Latang online and the forwards for not giving him a stick. Um, and I know it's happening quick out there. Ideally, a stick exchange is what you want to do. But if it's unable to be made, what they should have done is had a forward. I think it was Teddy Bluger at the time. Teddy Bluger come down and play defense in Chris Letang's position and move Chris Letang up in the diamond, um, the diamond formation, which they're doing on a penalty kill. Um, have him up on the perimeter because, again, like I said, they really can't. If, if they're going to score from out there, 
you know, so be it. But you really can't let somebody have, you know, free reign down in front of the net with a defenseman on him with no stick. He can't do anything. But people obviously were crucifying Chris Letang, um, as they always do. Anytime he, he's out there for a goal against, even though he's played really well as of late. Um, but, you know, it's just an unfortunate uh, unfortunate event. Um, and then later in the game, the Penguins, they're down 3-2. They pull the goaltender. They're trying to tie it up. Uh, just a few minutes later, and Malkin uh, just tees up a nice little soft pass to Latang at the top of the point there, and they're trying to set something up to see if they can't tie the game. And what do you know? Chris Latang's stick snaps in half on a routine pass um, again, and it leads to the Capitals on a you know two on one basically, uh, and they get an empty net goal. So you got to figure Latang is not happy uh, with the stick manufacturer um, and the Easton twigs he's using because he just broke two of them in a matter of a few minutes. Um, and it led to two goals, albeit one of them being an empty netter, but just, you know, unfortunate event for Chris Letang. Um, but the pens, they split the next two games with the New York Islanders. And like I said, they beat the flyers this past Tuesday night. So they're climbing in the standings. Um, they're tied for fourth, as we've mentioned, um, a couple ironic stats for them. There's seven wins and one loss, um, in overtime, which is the best record in the league, best overtime record in the league. Um, and they're nine wins, one loss and one overtime loss and one goal game. So it shows they've got a lot of resilience. They're able to battle back. Um, they're able to find ways to win. That's what good and great teams do. They find ways to win games. Maybe they're, you know, they have no business winning or one goal game. They're able to hold on to the lead, but it's also scary at the same time. Uh, because those games could go the other way, and then they could really be in the basement and have a dog shit record. So they really got to clean it up. Um, that's why it was nice to see the Penguins uh, beat the Flyers five two and have a little bit of a cushion the other night on Tuesday, um, and actually win a game by more than more than one and win the game in regulation. That isn't something that's happened um, a whole hell of a lot this year. Um, let me take a swig of beer before we get into some of the hirings the Penguins just made in their front office. Ronnie Hextall, uh, he's already at it. He, he's uh, putting his team together. Uh, he went out and hired Chris Pryor. Um, so to fill everybody in, Chris Pryor, he's one of the best amateur scouts in all of hockey. Uh, he spent about 20 years with the Flyers organization from 1999 to 2019, I believe. Um, and most recently was the director of player personnel with the Nashville Predators. Um, in his time with Philadelphia, he worked directly with Ron Hextall, so a lot of people thought this might happen when Hextall got his next job. Um, and lucky for the Penguins, they were able to um, you know, get Chris Pryor to sign on. Um, Ron Hextall said it was his number one priority when he took the job to get Chris Pryor to come in um, and be the, the director of player personnel, I believe he's going to be, and he's going to be the head of all amateur scouting. Um, you know, per friend of the podcast, Seth Rorabaugh, the last guest on the last episode, 16 of the 23 players currently on the Philadelphia Flyers roster uh, were drafted during Chris Pryor's tenure there. And two of the seven that weren't drafted um, during Pryor's time there were undrafted free agents that were signed by the Flyers. So his fingerprints are all over that roster. And it's a damn good roster as much as it pains me to say. But, um, you know, I'm stoked for Chris Pryor to be here. I look for them to, to start uh, rebuilding their prospect pool, uh, rebuilding through the draft, and, and stocking up a lot of good young prospects so that they uh, eventually, whenever the Crosby and Malkin era has come to an end, um, like we all know is coming, um, there won't be too many down years, hopefully, because the Penguins are in good hands right now with Chris Pryor and, and Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, in my opinion. Uh, staying with that theme as far as front offices go, some other notes around the league. Um, this is pretty funny, actually. Uh, GM Mark Bergevin of the Habs, the Montreal Canadiens, he didn't waste any time in firing Claude Julien, who they fired 
Um, I can't remember who the coach was. It escapes me right now. But they fired their coach a couple years ago in the middle of the season just because Boston let Claude Julien go just so they could bring Claude Julien in. I mean, I mentioned Montreal. They're in the playoffs. I think they're a three seed in the North Division right now. They're having a pretty solid year. They've struggled as of late, but they're still playing well uh, well enough to be a playoff team. Um, but Bergevin, he can Claude Julien and hired uh, Dominique Descharmes. I, I hope I'm not butchering that. It's a French last name um, on an interim basis. And then a few games later, this is the funny part, and not funny for this guy. I'm not laughing that he got fired, but they fired the goaltending coach in the middle of the game the other night. In the second period, Bergevin just went into the locker room and said, yep, you're fired. And he didn't tell the team. He didn't tell the, the goaltender. And they didn't find out until after the game. Uh, pretty crazy what's going on there. I think Mark Bergevin's kind of feeling uh, his seat's warming up a little bit. They made a lot of moves this offseason, similar to what the uh, St. Louis Blues did a couple years ago. Uh, they made a lot of offseason acquisitions and trades and things like that, and they were really hoping for um, you know a more dominant team. And they're, they're in the playoffs right now, but they've kind of resorted back to some uh, some bad plays, some some uh, you know, poor power play, bad goaltending, bad structure, and Bergevin's just seen enough. So it's pretty crazy. You'll have to see what uh, Dominique Descharmes does um, because it's always a French coach in uh, Montreal. I don't know if everybody's noticed that. It's really an unwritten rule for the Montreal Canadiens. They always have to hire a French coach. Uh, I think the last time they hired, they had a coach that didn't speak French um, was Randy Cunnyworth, and I think he came in on an interim basis right after they fired Michelle Therrien. Um I can't remember what year it was, but he wasn't there very long, and it, it really did not sit well with that uh, that franchise and that fan base, and that really boggles my mind. I don't understand that. So, like, I know, you know, most people, and I don't want to make a generalization here, but there's a lot of people in Montreal and that province in Quebec that are French, and they want, you know, their coaches to speak French. But if I'm, an, if I'm an, you know, a fan, I couldn't give two shits what language he speaks it could be translated to french i'm sure a lot of those people speak both languages english and french um, as long as they're going out there and winning games that's all that matters to me um, i don't see why it's such a big deal you know that they have to have a french coach i think that kind of limits them uh potentially in some good candidates um, around the league so we'll have to see what uh dominic de does again hopefully i'm not butchering his name i don't know if he's going to be the long time answer um, or sorry the long-term answer um but you never know we'll see what happens um, and Mark Bergevin, I'm sure, like I said, he's feeling the heat. So he's hoping that the Sharma can turn it around and keep this team going into the playoffs and maybe make a little noise or his days might be numbered in Montreal as well. Um, sticking with some other uh, stories from around the NHL, I wanted to dive in a little bit to the uh, Calder Trophy, the Rookie of the Year uh, race, um, and some of the favorites I have. If I had a ballot who I would be uh, looking to vote for, um, I've got three guys here. Kirill Kaprizov, the young Russian uh, stud phenom, 23-year-old uh, player, came over this year his rookie year with Minnesota. Um, one of the main reasons I picked Minnesota to be a playoff team in my predictions, um, but he's been far and above what I thought he could be as far as an impact on that team and an impact on the league and that uh, fan base. Uh, those fans, similar to Buffalo, they deserve a winner. Uh, that's a great state up there in Minnesota. They love hockey. They're obsessed with it. Um, and they deserve a winner at the NHL level for sure. And it's crazy because, like we've said, the NHL, you know, they don't really do a great job of marketing their stars. So hopefully the Minnesota and hopefully the NHL markets around this kid because he's electric to watch. He's got six goals, 11 assists, and 17 points through 19 games. Um, pretty solid pace, just under a point per game uh, for a rookie in this league. And in Minnesota, they're not actually known for, you know, their offensive prowess and their offensive game. They're more of a structured team. Um, but Kaprizov, he brings a lot of electricity to the ice. And again, he's must-watch TV for me. 
Um, he's just rejuvenated that team. He's so dynamic. Um, another candidate is uh, Vitek Vanasek. Again, hopefully I'm not butchering these names. Um, he's a Czech Republic goalie. He's been a huge surprise for the Washington Capitals in goal. Um, he's really kind of taken over the crease down there because if you remember, they let Braden Holpe go. Uh, Braden Holpe left in free agency. He went to the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, they had Ilya Samsonov penciled in, the, the young stud uh, prospect from the Hershey Bears coming in uh, to be their goaltender and take over the reins from Holpe. He had been there for a long time. And um, he played pretty well to start the season. Then he ran into that COVID-19 protocol violation um, where he had to sit out some time. He actually got COVID um, from that. So he sat out some additional time with, with COVID-19. Um, and then in that time, Vitek Vanasek has basically taken over. Um, he's taken his opportunity. He's got nine wins, four losses, and three overtime losses um, in 17 games. Now, I know that only adds up to 16 games in his record, uh, but he was pulled in one game. And in that game, uh, the goalie that came in to take his place actually, I believe the Capitals came back and at least tied it. So that goalie became the goaltender of record. So that falls off of Vitek Venasek's record. Um, but he's got a 2.81 goals against average and a .909 save percentage. So 90.9 save percentage. Um, pretty solid for a rookie. He's definitely been a surprise there because you remember they brought uh, the Capitals also brought in Hendrik Lundqvist, and he obviously isn't able to play this year due to some health concerns. So um, I did see he's back on the ice, so that's great to see. But the Capitals, their their uh, goal crease looks to be in good hands with Vitek Vanasek, and you got to figure Ilya Samsonov's going to come back hungry, wanting his spot back. So um, definitely a viable option for the Calder Trophy at this point in the season, uh, right there. And another goaltender, the Chicago Blackhawks, as I mentioned before, one of the biggest surprises for them and probably the main reason they're even sniffing a playoff spot right now, uh, Kevin Lankinen, you know, just seemingly came out of nowhere. Nine wins, three losses, three overtime losses in 15 games, 2.55 goals against average and a 92.4% save percentage. Um, just unbelievable numbers for a rookie. Got to figure this kid is going to uh, take the reins, and we'll see if he can stick around for the Blackhawks for the long haul here because they had Corey Crawford, their longtime goalie, um, you know, take off for New Jersey and free agency, um, and ultimately he retired. Uh, we talked about that before, but they didn't really have an answer in goal for Chicago. Like coming into the season, I wasn't even sure who was going to play. Um, you know, I figured they were going to have a really tough season. I think a lot of people did, and the way uh, – Kevin Lankinen's playing and the way Patrick Kane's playing, that Chicago Blackhawks team could potentially get in the playoffs and make some noise. So um, my money, if I was betting or if I was voting on this, I'd pick uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Like I said, he's just must-watch TV. He's rejuvenated that team. He's so fun to watch. The other night, he had a ridiculous wraparound goal where Drew Doughty, the Hall of Fame defenseman for the Kings, was draped all over him. And Kaprizov is basically laying on the ice face first. And he has enough um, wrist strength and he has enough curve on his stick to kind of wrap it into the empty net. An unbelievable goal, highlight reel goal. Again, he's just putting on highlight reel plays each and every night. So if you have a chance to take a look and watch the Minnesota Wild, um, that's not something that many people have said over the past few years, but I would definitely uh, recommend watching them play. But um, I think he's going to get the Calder Trophy. And I honestly, I wouldn't have a problem with any of these three guys taking home the hardware, but we'll see how they play for the rest of the campaign. So let me take a sip of beer for these great rookies, um, you know, leading the way here and, and uh, you know, leading the next generation of uh, young rookies in the National Hockey League. And you know who might need to take a sip of beer and relax and chill out um, is Jordan Bennington. Jordan Bennington is the goaltender for the St. Louis Blues. Um, he's a bit of a hothead. He's had a lot of ups and downs in his career. He seemingly came out of nowhere a couple years ago when the Blues went from dead last in the league 
on January 1st to winning the Stanley Cup in the same season, which was incredible. I don't think anybody's ever come close to doing that as far as being dead last in the NHL um, and then going on to win the Stanley Cup in the same year. But Jordan Bennington, uh, the other night, they were playing at the SAP Center out in San Jose against the Sharks. He's not playing well. He got lit up for a few goals. He ultimately got the yank from his um, coach. He got pulled. And, you know, typical it happens. It happens to every goalie. He's skating off the ice, and he skates by the San Jose bench. And somebody on the bench must have said something to him. And like I said, Bennington, he's a bit of a hothead, so he turns around. Didn't like what was said, obviously. Goes over to the San Jose bench and shoves the person that, you know, said whatever they said to him. Um, nothing really happens after that. He kind of skates away and Eric Carlson comes up to him. Who's the, you know, a top defensive player in the league. And one of the best players on the sharks, uh, comes up to Bennington and kind of might've said something to him. You couldn't really tell on the camera and Bennington like fake punches him with his blocker. He didn't hit him, but he like kind of tried to make him flinch a little bit. Um, and keep skating past that. And at that point, Devin Dubnik, the goalie for the uh, San Jose Sharks has seen enough. He's pissed. Uh, Bennington's kind of trying to show up his team and try to rile up his own team and potentially have a comeback. And uh, he goes out to greet uh, Jordan Bennington because remember those old barns, uh, the SAP Center. You know, they don't the the bench isn't uh, or sorry the locker room isn't near the bench, so they have to go to the other end of the ice. It's kind of funny because like the the benches aren't big enough for the backup goaltender. So like you have the backup goaltenders kind of just sitting down there in the corner in the runway all by himself. But that's where Bennington had to go because he got pulled and the the backup goaltender was going in. But um, at the other end of the ice, he had to skate past Devin Dubnik. And he skates past him and Dubnik came out and they had a little, um, you know, and they had words and they had a little push and shove and match a little bit. And uh, Devin Dubnik after the game basically came out and said, I don't know why Bennington's skating around pretending to punch guys. I told him to get off the ice. He's 165 pounds swinging at guys, fake punching guys. Get out of here. So it was pretty awesome. A little bit of goalie action there. You love to see that. And I think if you're a St. Louis Blues fan or you're a St. Louis Blues player or somebody in that organization, you have to love what Bennington did. Um, he's really trying to rile up his teammates, get his get the boys going. Um, you know, he, he doesn't take any shit. Anybody that chirps him, he's in their face. Um, and the remarkable part is the St. Louis Blues actually came back and won the game seven to six. Um, just incredible. Jordan Bennington is an absolute beauty. And uh, and speaking of beauties, I mentioned in the intro that I've recently picked up a book for the first time in maybe six to seven years, and I'm not joking. And that might actually be an understatement. It might be more like ten years. Uh, I'm just not into that stuff. I'm not into books. I'm not into nonfiction. I'm not into fiction. I'm not into any of that kind of stuff. I like reading maybe sports stories here and there um, and things like that. But you could probably uh, suspect that based on my takes on movies that we've talked about on previous episodes. But I'm not a book guy. Um, But in this case, I've started reading a book titled Beauties uh, by James Duthie. He's a reporter for TSN in Canada. Um, It's an awesome book. It's just a, a... a book full of unique untold hockey stories um, from 57 former NHL players, um, ranging from Wayne Gretzky to Mario Lemieux to Paul Bissonnette uh, to Ryan Whitney to Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, Austin Matthews, Bobby Orr, and so many more. Uh, it's been incredible so far. It's just pretty cool. It's like you might have heard some of these stories or heard rumblings about things like this, but um, these are to- untold stories and unique stories that aren't necessarily about the game all the time. They're more about the you know the personalities of guys, uh, the players, um, things like that. Just things you, you wouldn't typically know, and it, it's kind of like locker room stories and things that kind of make you feel different about players you may have hated or players you love that make you love them even more and things like that. It's really interesting. Um, 
the first story in the book is actually a, it's a forward uh, written by Roberto Luongo, the ex-goalie for the Florida Panthers and the Vancouver Canucks. Um, one of the biggest beauties in the league by far, uh, Roberto Luongo. He has a hilarious forward. Um, and then the Bobby Orr story that James Duthie uh, tells where, you know, he was getting this whole um, book going. He was kind of starting it out. He wasn't sure how he was going to do it. So he reached out to Bobby Orr. Now, Bobby Orr is one of the best players. He's he's a top three player of all time for sure and the best defenseman to ever play the game. Um, he changed the game, arguably the best skater of all time. Um, definitely right up there. He changed the way the game is played. He plays it, you know, he, he was a fourth forward out there, essentially, the way he skated and his offensive ability. Um, just an incredible player. Um, he was a player agent as well. Um, a, a remarkable story about that because I believe he became an agent after his career because while he was playing, he had a bunch of injuries. He wasn't able to play that long. Um, but while he was playing, his agent, I believe, took a lot of his money and spent it unwisely or stole it from him. So he wanted to make sure that that never happened to any players again. And uh, so he's just a remarkable guy. He represents a lot of uh, top end players in the NHL and a lot of just a lot of players in the NHL in general right now. But it's cool that he's looking out for the players. He doesn't want what happened to him uh, to happen to them. So all around great guy. But uh, James Duthie reached out to uh, Bobby Orr you know, say, Hey, I got this idea. I want to um, get some stories from a bunch of players. I wanted to know if you had any stories you'd like to tell and kind of left him a message. And, you know, he didn't think anything of it. He wasn't sure if Bobby Orr would even get back to him. And sure as shit, the next day, Bobby Orr called him. And uh, it was pretty crazy because Duffy's talking about how like he didn't have any time to prepare for this. And, uh, you know, Bobby Orr called him and was like, Hey, James, it's, it's Bobby Orr. Um, you got time to talk now? And he's like, holy shit, it's Bobby Orr. So he didn't know how he was going to record the conversation so that he could go back and write it and take notes and everything for the book. So he runs in and he grabs his, um, you know, his wife. His wife's on the phone. She's talking to somebody. I think he said she was like trying to order something for their daughter or something like that. And he's like, babe, I need, I need your phone. I need your phone so bad. And she's blowing him off because she, I guess she had been waiting on hold for a long time. Um, she finally got through and he's like, no, you don't understand. I need your phone. And she's like pissed off and yelling at him. And he's like, babe it's bobby fucking Orr. i need your phone it's bobby Orr. so she finally gives him the phone uh reluctantly after you know hanging up and he goes in and he the only way he knew how to record it it, it was hilarious he's like he just put the the phone down what bobby Orr was talking uh through and put it on speakerphone and then um recorded it with his wife's phone so that he could get it like that it was pretty crazy like the, the way he put this together and how great the book turned out from what it started and like how far it came it was awesome that was a pretty crazy story uh, bobby Orr again is the man um and the second story i've read so far um is about Sidney crosby it's written by um his teammate from uh his time in the quebec major junior hockey league with the ramuski oceanic uh eric nielsen who um Played mostly in the minor leagues after that. Didn't really sniff the NHL, but still great friends with Sidney Crosby to this day. It was a pretty interesting story about Sidney Crosby's nickname. Now, I know a lot of people probably don't know uh, Crosby's nickname. I mean, I'm sure you've heard Sid the Kid. Um, you've heard Sid. You've heard the next one or SC87 or whatever some of the media has given him. But his true nickname is Daryl. So why why you ask his nickname is Daryl it's pretty funny i've i've heard this story before just watching some uh pens tv stuff and and some documentaries on crosby but it was pretty crazy to read how uh it all came about i didn't know this but um eric nielsen he he uh talks about in the story that crosby came into ramuski um and they basically the uh you know the franchise had told him like you know he was nielsen was kind of acting up and all this stuff and you know, he wasn't really being the player that Ramuski thought he was, and he was staying out after curfew and partying and not showing up on the ice and things like that, just not playing, not being a, a player that took hockey seriously at the time, and they were actually going to let him go. 
um, and, and send him back to his hometown and kick him off the team. And um, he convinced them to let him stay for one year um, or let him stay that year. And he played really well. Um, and he kind of showed his way that he was, you know, maturing as a player. And then they came to him at the end of that season and said, hey, we have a chance to draft number one in the Q draft this year, the, the Quebec major junior draft. And we were going to select Sidney Crosby, they said. So, you know, they said, you showed us, Nielsen, that you, you know, you can be a, a good player and a good mentor now and you get it. Everything we've talked about the past year, you get it. So we want you to be his roommate. Um, so it's pretty crazy. So they become, you know, good buddies and, um, you know, long story about how, like, you know, he, they're just having fun and Crosby's so interested in hockey and he's just, he's not like, uh, he's not into the partying and all that and sneaking out and stuff like that. He's just so interested in hockey, as you can imagine with Crosby, but, um, they get to one of the games and then the veteran players typically sit out, um, the end of the preseason, right? This is the preseason game because they're, you know, they're not really playing, but Crosby just came in. And, uh, so the coach had him playing and all the veterans, including Nielsen are sitting up in the stands and they're watching this game. And, Sidney Crosby, I believe it was like through the second period, he had uh, four goals, four assists. He's just dominating everybody out there his first few games in the queue. So very impressive. I knew, uh, or Nielsen said they knew the player, uh, they knew Crosby was so good, but they just didn't know how good he was until they actually saw him. So uh, they're sitting there and all the veterans are like, hey, uh, who's that uh, Toronto Maple Leafs player that had 10 points the one night? And they're like, oh, Daryl Sittler. So then they're like, that's it. That's his nickname. We're going to call him Daryl from now on. And to this day, they still call him Daryl. But it was crazy because like in the story, he's telling he's telling it like the next day uh, at practice, they put tape over his nameplate in his locker. They put tape over his jersey, his jacket, his bag. Everything said Daryl. Um, so they started calling him Daryl. The coaches were calling him Daryl. Um, all the teammates were calling him Daryl. So much so that Sidney Crosby actually his rookie year had Daryl stitched um, into his gloves in the NHL. So pretty crazy story. It's stories like that. Um, that are just awesome in this book. Uh, it's a great book. I'd highly recommend it if you're a hockey fan, um, and you likely are if you listen to this podcast. So I'll tweet the link out to buy the book, uh, but you won't regret it. Again, it's called Beauties by James Duthie. I've only just gotten started, but you know if it's anything like the first couple stories, I'm stoked to read the rest. So swig a beer for James Duthie and great work, man. It's an unbelievable book. And I mentioned in the intro, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about uh, the updates I've, I've read on uh, the Artemi Panarin situation regarding the allegations levied against him by former uh, coach Andre Nazarov, um, alleging that Artemi Panarin back in 2011 assaulted a, an 18-year-old Latvian female, um, which Panarin has denied, um, the Rangers have denied, and basically a lot of people that were involved or at least were there have denied Um Slava Malamud, he's a, a former journalist and a great follow on Twitter. He's at Slava Malamud, that's S-L-A-V-A-M-A-L-A-M-U-D. Um, he's a great follow on Twitter. He's a former journalist. Um, he largely tweets about crazy things happening in Russian sports and in Russia in general, all the way from martial arts to hockey and just life in Russia in general. Um, he's actually a former journalist who lived in the Soviet Union um, and in Russia after the Soviet Union fell, but he's currently a math teacher in Maryland. Um, I thought about potentially like not mentioning that he's a math teacher in Maryland, but I think he, he posts that on his uh, Twitter account. And I read some articles in the USA Today about Slava um, that talk about that as well. Um, he has no problem calling out things that happen in Russia. So it's pretty interesting. And uh, I had to figure he was going to chime in on this situation. Uh, fortunately for us and the listeners, he provided a translation from the tabloid publication in Russia where uh, Andre Nazarov first levied his allegations uh, publicly against Panarin. And per Malamud, 
Uh, Nazarov says that he hates Panarin's politics and wants to avenge Panarin's acts against the Russian government. So there you have it, just as we suspected. Um, the Rangers mentioned this in their statement that we read last week, um, that this was a political threat and an intimidation tactic. Um, he basically is pissed off at Artemi Panarin and all the acts in, in his support of the direct opposition to Vladimir Putin and the Russian government, and he's trying to get back at him, uh, which just shows you his motive. And now, even if it, this was true, this is a dog shit motive, and it really hurts his case, but it appears that this is not true. Um, I hope this is not true, as we've mentioned. Uh, but again, it, it appears from the uh, translation from Slava Malamud uh, that this is exactly what that is. It's a political threat. It's an intimidation tactic uh, trying to force uh, Artemi Panarin to stop speaking out and, and stop supporting those who do speak out. Uh, Nazarov also went on to say, uh, per Malamud, that he believes Panarin lives a cushy life in New York City, an easy life just sitting there criticizing Russia and Putin, and it's led to a lot of unrest in Russia. Also, per Malamud, Nazarov thinks, the Rus- thinks he's a Russian patriot and strongly disagrees that the NHL is a superior league to the KHL. <laughs> I mean, he calls the NHL a dirty league where Russian players are discriminated against and where funny business is happening. So I can't speak to the discrimination in uh, in the NHL for him because he played in the, in the 90s. Um, so I, I'm not going to discredit that. It's very possible at that time he faced some discrimination. Uh, Nazarov, that is. Um, but as far as funny business, I mean... like there's There's a ton of stories out there about funny business happening in the KHL where guys guys pay is withheld if they're not playing well if they don't get points or um the team's not winning they don't get paid um they have uh manager general managers and owners walking around the locker room with AK47s posing after the game and stuff with the players you know like big time celebrities they have players signing contracts that are all written in Russian in the middle of the season with no representation and uh, no translator for them to read it, which basically is docking their pay, maybe 50, 60 percent sometimes, depending on what the, the owner wants to pay or how the player's uh, playing. Uh, a lot of guys from North America have said that they, um, they've been hurt and the team doesn't believe them. The team thinks they're faking it. They put news articles out uh, just burying the guy. Uh, where they punish them if they think they're faking injuries and things like that. So with regard to the funny business, I don't think he has any uh, anything to stand on there in comparison with the NHL to the KHL. The NHL is the upper echelon, upper class, just main league. Um, they're, I mean, they're eating filet mignon on the plane. They've got all kinds of amenities. The KHL, half the time, the planes look like they're falling apart. You know, they got long-ass bus rides, and it's just – that, that comment is a joke to say that the KHL is superior to the NHL, but this guy obviously has an axe to grind. Uh, he played 571 games, Nazarov did, in the NHL, um, and he racked up 1,409 penalty minutes, and he only had 53 tucks, uh, 53 goals. So uh, maybe that's his reason for his dis- the disdain he has for the NHL, that he just really wasn't uh, able to produce and able to. I mean, he had a long career. 571 games is nothing to sniff at, but if you think the KHL is better than the NHL and you you only put 53 goals in in 571 games and you're more well-known for your penalty minutes, you almost had three penalty minutes a game. Um you know, maybe that's the reason why, you know, he's a little bit sick of the NHL and, the, and he, you know, he, he doesn't want Russian players to go play in the NHL. Um, there's 42 players in the NHL right now that are Russian, and he seems to only focus on the one, the only one that has called out Vladimir Putin and the Russian government. Um, you know, just pretty crazy to think about that. Like, uh, you know, if he, again, if he thinks the KHL is superior to the NHL, then why isn't he going after other players? Um in the NHL, like Evgeny Malkin and Alex Ovechkin and 
um, you know, Kirill Kaprizov, stuff like that. Like, why why is he only going after Panarin? I think we now know the answer per Slava Malibud and his um, his awesome reporting here. Um, like Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin are big supporters of Vladimir Putin. They had that campaign a couple years ago um, when Putin was up for re-election uh, called Putin Team, and they were posting things on social media all over the place, and you didn't hear um, anything from Nazarov about that and about those guys playing in the NHL. So it's just interesting. Um, but we'll keep our eye on that story. The NHL, the NHL Players Association, uh, the New York Rangers, they've all shown support for Panarin. Uh, there hasn't been any update regarding his leave of absence, but I wanted to provide that update that Slava Malamud's uh, great reporting gave us. Uh, so swig a beer for Slava, and please go ahead and follow Slava Malamud. He's got a lot of good stuff on Twitter uh, regarding the NHL and regarding uh, hockey in Russia and sports in Russia. He's a good follow. As far as the gambling brews segment we had last week, holy shit, we're off to a freezer on that. Um, we went one and two on the week. My three picks, uh, won one, lost two. I really didn't think the Edmonton Oilers would be shut out by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, actually, they were shut out again in the next game by the Leafs. And then uh, the third time they played them in a row, they got dummied six to one. So rough week for the Edmonton Oilers going up against the buzzsaw uh, that is the Toronto Maple Leafs right now. But I did have the Maple Leafs winning the first game on Saturday night, uh, this past Saturday night, winning um, money line or straight up. Um, they did do that. I had the over in that game, which was six and a half. But again, the Edmonton Oilers were shut out, so it was very difficult. The, the Leafs won four nothing. They held up their end of the bargain, um, but the Edmonton Oilers did not. So that cost us the bet there. And then on uh, Thursday night last week, the day the episode came out, I had uh, the Boston Bruins. Uh, puck line to win by at least one and a half so win by two against the new york islanders and they got shit pumped seven to two so we're off to a hot start but don't worry we're a third period team and uh we'll be back don't worry about it this week i don't have any picks i didn't see anything i really liked um on the slate for this upcoming weekend if anything pops up i'll be sure to tweet it out at rambling brews um so if you're looking for any tips um you can either fade me or you can ride with me through this little rough patch but we're gonna bounce back i can guarantee it um but i'll tweet out some picks um if I have any this weekend from at rambling brews on Twitter, um, some other quick notes from around the sports and entertainment world, uh, JJ Watt in the NFL signed a two year, $31 million deal with the Cardinals. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. I'm not sure exactly how old he is, but there seems to be a lot of fans in Pittsburgh that are a little bit upset that he didn't come to Pittsburgh and, uh, unite with his other brothers, um, his other two brothers, TJ Watt and Derek Watt, both who play for the Steelers. Um, I know Mark Madden here in Pittsburgh in town has had some have is having some fun um, with the Pittsburgh hoi polloi as he calls them because they're just fanboying out and they wanted JJ Watt even though the Steelers really had no no need for JJ Watt no use for JJ Watt as far as their scheme goes and and as far as their personnel goes um, they have bigger needs than JJ Watt uh, but JJ he's a great guy he's done a lot for charity he's done a lot down in Houston he's a you know Hall of Fame caliber player so it'd be nice to see him have a chance to go out there in the desert and run with Kyler Murray and his former teammate DeAndre Hopkins and those boys and see if they can get it done it'll be interesting to see but um so yeah JJ Watt to the uh, Arizona Cardinals um and Johnny Manziel I'm sure that's not a name you expected to hear on this podcast I believe he's actually playing in a football league currently controlled by the fans where I think like and I may be totally wrong on this but I think the fans um 
call the plays and the fans have a huge impact on the game and the rosters and things like that. It's supposed to be like an interactive league with the fans, which is bananas to me. Um, it's like a bootleg arena football league. Uh, but shout out to my buddy Dustin, whose uncle Les Moss used to run things in the Arena Football League with the Orlando Predators. And I think he coached a team in Jacksonville, too. Um, that was an electric league to watch. I always enjoyed the Arena Football League, especially when you knew a guy uh, that was running the show down there. So, um, you know, shout out to Les Moss. What a boss he is. Um, but Johnny Manziel, he was a former number one draft pick. He's a former Heisman Trophy winner, one of the best college football players of all time. Um, really didn't pan out. He had a number of off-the-field issues in the NFL and through college, a lot of partying, um, a lot of things like that. It just led to his demise. Um, and now, again, he's playing in like a fan-controlled league. And I'm not knocking Johnny Menzel. He appears to be happy. I've seen him on some other podcasts, and I've seen him on social media and stuff. He seems to be at peace with his uh, NFL career and his football career um, and where his life is. So more power to him. I hope he's you know doing well. But I read that... He apparently is going to try his hand at becoming a pro golfer. So some of you might laugh at that, and I laughed at it at first too because that's pretty crazy. Like you can't just start playing golf. I know he's a, I know he's a, uh, you know, a pretty good golfer from what I heard. But there's a difference between a pretty good golfer who golfs occasionally and a pro. Um, golf is the hardest sport, in my opinion, in the world. I don't even think it's close. It's the most frustrating sport, but at the same time, the most rewarding sport there is. Um, so I don't know what he's trying to do. If he wants to become a pro golfer, if he's trying to play on the Corn Ferry Tour, if he's trying to play on the PGA Tour or some lower-level tour, um, I'm not sure exactly what his goals are. But, hey, more power to him. Good luck with that. Uh, we'll see how that pans out. Uh, speaking of golf, a uh, quick Tiger Woods update we talked about last week, um, the unfortunate and horrific accident he had um, where he required surgery. He broke both his legs. He shattered his ankle and a couple other injuries. Um, he's out of surgery uh, per his team on social media, they've mentioned. Um, he's just now recovering, and, and he's going to start the physical therapy process and see where that leads. Um, but it, it, last weekend, I don't know, for those who don't know, I'll, I'll fill everybody in. Um, on Sundays in every um, golf event that Tiger plays in, he always wears red. He wears the red Nike polo, uh, the black Nike hat. A lot of times he comes walking into the uh, to the event before he hits the driving range, before he tees off with his hat backwards and his sunglasses on, just looking like a badass. Uh, but he always wears red, and everybody's really known that for a long time, and no golfer really dares to wear red on Sunday. You'd be asking for it if you did. Um, it's just not a good idea, and that's just Tiger's thing. He's done that for a long time. He's a dominant player. Um, just unbelievable and it was it was pretty cool this past Sunday obviously Tiger wasn't playing due to his accident and uh golfers like Tony Finnau and Rory McIlroy and a couple others I'm uh, forgetting their names right now but they wore red um in honor of Tiger Woods for that event on Sunday um and it was pretty cool to see it was a nice gesture I mean golf's a big time um family feel all those golfers they're all buddies and really all the golfers uh, today in the in the game of golf, the PGA Tour, the president of the PGA Tour, um, the PGA in general, the Golf Association, all of that, they owe everything to Tiger Woods, in my opinion. I mean, golf would be around for sure. It was it was around before Tiger Woods. It'll be around after Tiger Woods, but it will never it would never be at the level it's at now if it wasn't for Tiger Woods. You now have big time athletes playing golf. You have uh, people that are in shape playing golf, you know, guys that could potentially excel in other sports are playing golf. Um, he's made it mainstream. He's made it must-watch. You can tell by when Tiger's not playing, usually the ratings plummet uh, for golf events. And a couple years ago, whenever he went, he won the Masters, and, uh, you know, I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago. Time's really flying uh, right now. Um, but 
when he won that, like it seemed like the whole world was pulling for him. At one point, you know, everyone was watching him rise up when he was younger, and then he got to the top, and then he had his um, issues and everything like that, and he kind of went down again, and then everyone was like ready for the underdog to kind of overcome again, and he really united the golf world. Um, he's the best golfer of all time, in my opinion. Um, and like I said, they owe a lot to him. So whenever he saw them, uh, uh, wearing red for him and support, um, it was pretty cool. He reached out on Twitter and said, you know, Hey, I thank all the fans. I thank all the players, um, all the thoughts and prayers and gestures and everybody reaching out to me, um, has, is really helping him get through this tough time. So, uh, we're pulling for Tiger Woods. It's great to, to hear he's in good spirits and hopefully he makes a full recovery. Um, just awesome. Uh, what what uh what those golfers were doing for Tiger Woods? So swig a beer for those guys. I gotta crack one. Switching gears a little bit over to the world of professional wrestling, uh, the Wrestling Observer Awards came out from longtime wrestling journalist Dave Meltzer uh, this past week. And uh, one award I wanted to talk about was uh, Pat McAfee. Uh, we haven't talked about McAfee or wrestling really since the first couple episodes of the podcast. Um, but he won the Rookie of the Year award, uh, which is pretty goddamn impressive. Because um, Pat McAfee, you know, he hasn't been wrestling long as we've, as we've talked about. You know, he's had limited training. Uh, he came in on a live TV show and doing pay-per-views uh, for the biggest uh, wrestling company in the world. And he really excelled. And uh, this this award isn't just the WWE or AEW or other major promotions. This is uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, this is Canadian uh, wrestling companies. This is uh, Outlaw Mud Show companies. This is Mexico um, and some of their territories and all over the world. And for Pat McAfee to be named the Rookie of the Year is pretty damn impressive. Um, the one thing that's crazy to me is he's Rookie of the Year, but he hasn't been on TV and hasn't been wrestling for like four months. I'm not sure what WWE is doing. Uh, they took him off TV a couple months ago. Um, it looked like it was news to him when he wasn't booked anymore, so I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, maybe they'll do something with him around NXT TakeOver, which is um, near WrestleMania in April, um, in early April. And, you know, he's the Rookie of the Year and hasn't been booked in wrestling for a few months, so it's pretty crazy because the way the wrestling ratings are tanking, um, and nobody's watching wrestling. There's never been less people watching wrestling than there are today. You would think a mainstream uh, star like McAfee uh, and a celebrity status type guy like McAfee could really, um, you know, having him on your TV show every week could really drive some ratings. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens there. And speaking of uh, celebrities making their wrestling debut, Shaquille O'Neal in All Elite Wrestling (AEW) um, Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, uh, made his in-ring debut. Um, in a mixed tag match, I didn't know really know the storyline because I don't watch AEW. It's really hard to watch for me. It's just outlawish to me. Um, but Shaquille O'Neal makes sense. He works for TNT. Uh, this show's on TNT, um, so it makes sense to have that crossover. And they're gonna have the big star. And it was crazy. I watched bits and pieces of the match, and Shaquille O'Neal actually took a huge bump off the side of the ring from Cody Rhodes through a couple tables. Uh, so it was pretty awesome to see Shaq. He's so fucking big. Like he just makes those wrestlers look so small. Um, it's crazy, you know how much you know. He's still in pretty good shape. It was a solid match uh, from what I saw for his first wrestling match, and I don't know if he's going to continue with any of this um, as far as this feud goes with Cody Rhodes. He's got going on here, the guy that slammed him through the table. Uh, we'll see how that turns out. Um, but it was interesting to watch, and I think it's gonna it's gonna get uh, people talking a little bit more about AEW wrestling and Shaquille O'Neal. He's one of the biggest stars in the world, one of the best personalities in the world, funniest guys in the world for sure. That show on TNT, uh, the NBA post game show with him and Charles Barkley, um, it's just it's just a great show. Um, 
sticking with AEW, uh, Paul White actually just signed with AEW, which is crazy. Uh, for those who don't know who Paul White is, he's the big show from WWE. He's been in WWE since 1999, I think, um, which is crazy. It's it's hard to believe that uh, Vince McMahon let him go. Um, he can't use the big show name, obviously, because uh, WWE owns it. Uh, but he uses Paul White, and you know everybody knows who he is. You can just tell by looking at him. So it's pretty interesting. I'll be surprised to see what he does uh, over there. He's pretty old. He's, you know, I think he's in his late 40s. Um, he's in great shape now. Um, but it'll be it'll be interesting interesting to see what happens there um, with Paul White. So more to come on that. Uh, we'll see how that goes and how that turns out. Um, and the last wrestling note I had was a, a crazy Twitter beef uh, between Randy Orton and Soldier Boy. Now, not exactly a Twitter beef you would expect to see, um, but it was pretty crazy. So Randy Orton, he is a longtime WWE wrestler, um, one of the best wrestlers of all time. I think he's like a 12 or 13-time world champion. I may be shortchanging him a little bit. He might have more than that. Um, but he got into a little Twitter beef because um, Soldier Boy tweeted just randomly that uh, the rap game is, quote, faker than the WWE. So usually you'll see that a lot whenever somebody says WWE or wrestling is fake. You know, people within the business don't really like that word. Uh, everybody knows it's predetermined. Everybody knows it's a show. It's entertainment. But they really don't like uh, the word fake because there are real injuries and real risks they're taking and things like that. You can understand that if you have a brain. Um, you know, why why Orton would be upset. So Orton reached out to him and basically they're they're just trading barbs back and forth. Uh, when Randy Orton first saw the tweet from Soldier Boy or was first made aware of it, he tweeted, fake? Dare this prick to step up. He don't like movies, considers us actors that do stunts without pads 200 days a year and don't bitch when we get surgically repaired and come right back, consider us 100 times tougher than anyone he's come across. He ain't nothing but a bitch ass. And then he said, uh, P.S. Bad Bunny would beat the fuck out of you. Now, I don't even know who Bad Bunny is. Apparently, he's like a guy that works in WWE now, but he's also a, a mainstream musician. Never heard of him. Uh, any listeners out there can point out to who Bad Bunny is. If he's got any decent music, um, I doubt it. But um, So he said, Bad Bunny would beat the fuck out of you. Why? How? Because he's seen our world. He respects it and knows what it takes and finds himself lucky to be a part of it. You want to talk fake? Pawn that cheap-ass chain and come work for it, you one-hit wonder-ass motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So Soldier Boy comes back with, Do you know who the fuck I am? I'll bring the real to wrestling. Don't play with me, Randy Orton. And then Randy Orton comes back with, Crank That came out in 07. You had a hell of a year. Serious money. Hats off to you, my dude. Here's the thing, though. I like rap. I bump that shit all day, whether it's Toonchi, that's Lil Wayne, Meek Mill, Jay-Z. But you call what I do to survive fake? Fuck that. Come to my world and say that. I dare you. So there's a little bit of a beef going between uh, Randy Orton and Soldier Boy. And then uh, Bow Wow, the rapper, chimes in out of nowhere. Uh, I use that term loosely, rapper. He's not. He's, he's more of a gong show these days. Uh, but he had some good songs back in the day. Um, Fresh As I'm Is being one of them off the top of my head. What a great song. Uh, but he came in and said basically these wrestlers are getting uh, in their feelings and they're scared. And ever since uh, Bow Wow said he was going to start wrestling. And he's actually, I guess, been training with former WWE wrestler um, and cousin of The Rock, Rikishi, um, out in California. So what the hell? I don't know what's going on. But you know, some of these celebrities and rappers are coming in to try to uh, get into WWE and get into wrestling is pretty crazy. So I really thoroughly enjoyed that little Twitter bar between Randy Orton and Soldier Boy. And Randy Orton, he don't give a shit, man. He's probably the one of the only guys in WWE that can get away with that um, because just of his clout and how long he's been there and how you know great he's been. Um, 
but Vince McMahon probably wouldn't let that slide with anybody else. So it's crazy how he just gets on Twitter and says whatever he wants. Um, it's pretty incredible. Um, so swig a beer for Randy Orton for sticking up for wrestling and for Randy Orton beating Soldier Boy's ass. I would love to see that. It would be hilarious. It would be funny, man. And as we've done the last couple weeks on the podcast, um, there was a couple awesome sports anniversaries in sports history this week I wanted to touch on. Um, on February 28th, which was this past Sunday, uh, it was 11 years ago that Sidney Crosby scored the golden goal in the Vancouver Olympics against Ryan Miller and Team USA in overtime to win the gold medal for Canada. Uh, one of the most iconic goals in hockey history and most iconic moments in Canadian hockey history for sure. Um, so incredible it's been 11 years since that. Um, Probably, uh, you know, at the time I was pissed off. Obviously, you know, I wanted the USA to win. But if anybody could score for Canada uh, to win the gold medal, I was glad it was at least Sidney Crosby. You got, you had to figure he was going to do that. He's that type of player. He's unreal. Um, always steps up. Super clutch. We've been over it. Uh, but just crazy. Uh, sip a beer for Sid for the uh, golden goal 11 years ago uh, this past Sunday. Also, this past Tuesday uh, marked the 28th anniversary of Mario Lemieux returning after missing 23 games for Hodgkin's disease. Um, he charted a flight and flew to Philadelphia after his last radiation treatment on that day. Um, went out and played that night and had a goal and an assist. Um, just an unbelievable guy, unbelievable comeback. Um, so it, it was 20, 28 years ago uh, this past week. Um, crazy story about that. When he came back, he was trailing Pat LaFontaine, the great player, um, by 12 points for the scoring trophy uh, with 20 games to play. So that's a lot of ground to make up. 20 games to play, you're down 12 points um, in the scoring race. And mind you, Mario Lemieux just came off of missing 23 games and dealing with uh, radiation treatment for Hodgkin's disease. In those 20 games, Lemieux racked up 30 goals, 26 assists, and 56 points. Let me give that to you one more time. 30 goals, 26 assists and 56 points in 20 games to win the scoring title fresh off of cancer treatment. Not only did he beat LaFontaine for the scoring title, but he won the title by 12 points himself. So when he came back, he was down 12. He scored so many goddamn points, he ended up winning the scoring title by 12 points, finishing with 160 points in 60 games that year, which over a full 82-game uh, schedule would be a 219-point pace, which would be an NHL record and four more points than Wayne Gretzky's best season uh, with 215 he had. And the guy had cancer. He had cancer. He was getting radiation treatments. And he came back and he put up 56 points. I can't, I can't stress that enough. 56 points in 20 games. 30 goals in 20 games. Just absolutely absurd. So for the big guy, the savior, Mario Lemieux, a big swig of beer for that guy. And with that being said, I just wanted to mention a few listener notes uh, before we wrap up today. If you haven't already followed at Rambling Brews on Twitter, please do. Um, and also the new Instagram at Rambling Brews Podcast. Um, tell your friends and have them tell their friends and have their friends tell their friends. Uh, keep a lookout for more content and videos and highlights coming on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, keep a lookout for gambling brews picks on Twitter um, in the coming days. If I find anything or in the coming weeks, uh, please keep following. I appreciate the hell out of everybody listening to this podcast and sharing the podcast and driving the numbers up. It's awesome to see. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, so, we're trying to continue to grow this Rambling Brews brand, and we need your help, and we appreciate the hell out of everybody uh, helping us do so. So this weekend, hit your local beer distributor, grab some cold Coors Light, raise some hell, and remember, if I don't see you around here, 
I'll see you around. Here. You know, today, I just woke up, and I like said, this. you know, instead of waiting on a good day, waiting around, through ups and downs, waiting on something to happen, I just said, Still we all grind forever in a day the choice you make is really all fine 